Wants are unlimited, but resources always limited. So, how do you distribute your limited resources between your competing and potentially unlimited wants to achieve a fulfilling outcome for your life? That is what we figure out on The Money Spot. Welcome to The Money Spot, the place where we answer your money questions. I'm your host, Heather Katsonga-Woodward, and in this week's episode, we've got a kind of lengthy property question. Um, It came by email, so I'll read it out to you. Hi, Heather. Here's my question. I'm a single first-time buyer. I've just under 10K deposit, and I can borrow up to 200,000 based on some mortgage brokers. Is there any way I can borrow more money to buy a bigger house? What's your thoughts on the helping hand mortgage by Nationwide? Are there any other schemes for first-time buyers? Second question. My plan is to use house hacking in order to save up faster in order to invest in more buy-to-late properties. What's your advice on house hacking? And is it legal? Do I need to inform the lender? And would that make them more inclined to raise my interest rate? Third question. Do I generally need both council and lender permission to change the structure to the house? such as an extension or loft conversion, etc. And how do I go about it? Where do I start? And is there any zoning regulations here in the UK as there is in the US? Finally, I'm a foreign national, I won't mention the nationality, here in the UK on a skilled worker visa. I've lived here for just over five years, including my university years, and my credit score is very low due to the fact that I'm not eligible to register for voting. I spoke to the council and they said they can't really do anything about it. Is there anything I can do? That's the only reason why my credit score is low. Thanks, Ahmed. Then I got a second email, which I think will be fully answered by me answering this one. And it was from Shahid, who essentially said, I want to get into property investment, but have very little capital. Is there any advice other than save to help buy properties with little to no capital? Your help is much appreciated. So just right up my lane, Um, both very interesting questions, and I will give you my framework for how I would think about it. I'm not giving advice. I'm just giving you my thoughts. I'm not uh, qualified or regulated to give you advice. So take it in that context. Um, I'll focus on Ahmed's question because it, it covers pretty much everything. From what I can see, you'd be allowed roughly a mortgage with a 5% deposit. Now, I got your question about a month plus ago and the mortgage market has been going crazy. Uh, a lot of mortgages are being withdrawn because they the rate is either too low relative to the car- current Bank of England base rate. Um, so if you see a mortgage you like, get it. But I'll just take your questions from this, from the beginning to the end and we'll think about them. Firstly, how can you borrow more? Well, the hard way or the way that involves a little bit more work is to find a higher paying job. Unfortunately, a lot of banks will stick to certain multiples of income for lending to you. So the more you can earn, the more they will lend you. And the second option, which is potentially easier, is to buy with someone else. This can be a friend. And in the UK, uh, there are two ways of people buying jointly. Tenants in common or 
uh, joint tenants. So married couples will generally buy as joint tenants, which means they essentially all own all the property, whereas tenants in common own a specific percentage. So you own 50%, I own 50%. It's set in the legal documentation that we own a specific percentage and none of you have a right to inherit the other person's percentage. So I would seek out either a close friend or someone who's just interested in property investing like you are and is happy to go for the same strategy. Uh, or you can go with a, a partner if you've got a girlfriend who's interested in, in investing. Combine your incomes and get a bigger mortgage. Those are the two strategies I'd probably go with to start with. I myself tend to be a little bit more on the conservative end because I started buying property at, at the time when interest rates were about 6%. And interest rates are going in that direction and may actually go beyond 6%. So borrowing too much and then finding yourself in a position where you can't afford a mortgage is a place you don't want to be. And whatever mortgage you go for, I, I have always tended to overpay so that I'm de-risking over time. However, I can see from your strategy, you probably just want to pay whatever the mortgage rate is, keep any surplus or excess, and then basically save for more property. This is a strategy that I guess was great five or more years ago. But at the moment, maybe you'll approach it with more caution because the increase in interest rates is going to hit the buy-to-let market a little bit harder than it will the residential mortgage market. Your second question is on the helping hand mortgage at Nationwide. Now, I don't know the ins and outs of this mortgage, but from the basics that I've read, Nationwide are basically saying that if you're a first-time buyer, we are going to let you buy or borrow five and a half, five and a half times a multiple of your income rather than four and a half times, which is the usual industry benchmark or metric. Now, this is just one of many first-time buyer products. And I'd say the best person to talk to about first-time buyer products is a mortgage broker. And I gave my sister who's in America exactly this advice. I think she found one or two mortgage brokers. They looked at her profile and because mortgage brokers are there basically to sell mortgage products, they'll, they'll know exactly which products are the best ones for you and the ones that you're likely to get um, success with. So speak to a mortgage broker or two and list these. In my sister's case, uh, she's in America. She ended up finding a mortgage where she had to pay almost no deposit at all to buy a three bed detached property. And she did. She is using the house hacking method because I advised her to do so. And I'll let you know how it's working out for her so you can compare how you might go about it as well. So that answers your third question on first time buyer schemes. And when you're talking to the mortgage broker, be very specific in trying to understand from them what the benefit is of different products compared to another. You don't want to be tied into an expensive product uh, by the same token. You want to know that you understand the small print of these pr products. They're supposed to be great for first time buyers, but knowing it full well, whatever the product is, is, is always a good starting point. So that's your first batch of questions. Then house hacking. What are my thoughts on it? Again, this is not advice, just information. Is it legal? Yes. House hacking is legal. In the England, we'd just call it having a lodger or a couple of lodgers. However, 
there's going to be a limit on how many people you can have in your home without it being classified as an HMO, uh, a house with multiple occupation. And different parts of the UK have slightly different HMO rules. However, if you're living in the house yourself and you own the house, they're probably going to be a bit more flexible, but there's going to be a limit beyond which you can't exceed. So I think you can probably have two or three lodges, but check with your local council. So yes, it is legal, but you can't just have as many people as you want. So you're going to have, have to watch out on that. Do you have to inform the lender if you've got a lodger? You know what? I, I don't think you do. There's no requirement for you to inform the lender as long as you yourself are living in the house. So it's a primary residence mortgage and the lender expects that you're living in the house. However, to be on the safe side, read the lending documentation to make sure that you're not going to fall foul of any rules. As you're living there, it's not really a buy to let. And I think lodges are generally allowed. The idea being that if the owner is also in the house and owners like to keep the house in good condition, then they've got that under board, uh, on board and it's under control. Would your lender raise your interest rate because you've got a lodger? No. The mortgage product is fixed for the fixed period. So on account of you having a lodger, no, they wouldn't. Now, um, how has my sister's house hacking gone? So essentially, she found a three-bedroom house and I think there are three bathrooms. She occupies one room and she got a lodger in each of the spare rooms. Her mortgage is about $1,600 um, and there's a, some kind of protection insurance that you buy in America if you haven't bought a house with a certain amount of deposit. So that doesn't include that. And each of her lodgers pays her £800, $800 each. So basically her whole basic mortgage is covered by her lodgers. And I told her to use all the excess to pay off debt. She had a car loan of about 15 or 16K and she had student debt of roughly the same amount. She's had this property maybe coming on to two years and she has cleared her car loan and she is about to clear her um, student loan. So house hacking is awesome for getting rid of debt. One thing you need to keep in mind in the UK is that if you've got lodges, if you're earning above a certain threshold, you have to declare this in a self-assessment tax return. The threshold is roughly 7,500. And if you earn less than this from rent, you don't need to declare it. So essentially, it's tax-free income. I don't know what the logic here, but I'm assuming the discomfort of living in a lodger has led to Her Majesty's revenue being a little bit flexible in the issue. And plus, they don't want loads and loads of tax returns that are declaring small levels of income. So if you're going to be just marginally over that threshold, I would probably rein it in and get lodges that essentially keep you below the threshold. Um, if you're earning much more, then definitely you have to declare it. So that's on house hacking. Uh, great idea. Um, and depending on your strategy, you, you need to decide like how, how far do you want to go into property ownership? Do you just want as many properties as you can have? Or do you want properties that essentially pay down over time? Um, if you go for the house hacking method, are there any debts that you yourself want to clear? Or um, do you just want to essentially use any extra income you make from lodges to buy more properties?
Uh, and of course, here I'm assuming that you will do the calculations to ensure that each property that you buy gets a decent return. In the past, the ballpark for a good return on property used to be a 6% yield. So roughly, if you buy a 100,000 property, you want 6,000 in income per year. Um, that's the proxy I use uh, as a starting point, uh, personally. Um, so that's one factor to consider. Now, the next set of questions is on changing the structure of your house. Do you need lender permission? Generally, no. But again, read the lending documentation. The thing that you do need is to have the right insurance. So your general buildings insurance might not cover you if you're having substantial changes. So you need to, you need to make sure you get the right buildings insurance for the period when you're making the changes. You can get the quote from your current insurer or a different insurer. You don't have to go with the insurer that uh, is covering you for your base buildings, building regs for uh, insurance to make structural changes. So that's one thing to keep in mind. The lender essentially just wants to make sure that their investment is protected and having the right insurance is what they'd want off of you. Council permission. Do you need council permission? Well, if it's a listed property or if you're in a conservation area, you need planning permission from your council regardless. Uh, however, if it's not a listed property and it's not in a conservation area, there is quite a range of permitted development that you can do. So even if you're in a conservation area, if you're doing internal cosmetic changes, you don't need planning permission. If you're going to do anything structural at all, you need to contact the processes. You need to contact your council um, to explain what you want to do and to get planning permission. Ideally, in order to make the process smooth, you could use a third party. So when I made quite substantive changes to the house we live in, I got my architect to submit for the planning permission for me. And the general guideline is that you need planning permission if you're building something entirely new, if you're making any major structural changes, uh, extensions beyond a certain amount and size are required uh, to get planning permission. If you're going to do a double story change, so if you're doing both a loft conversion and something downstairs, you probably are needing planning permission. And you even need planning permission when you're not making any structural change, but you're changing the use of a house. So if you're going to change the use to go from a, a regular residential home to become a home with multiple occupation and HMO, you would need planning permission for that. If you're going to change a residence to a building, uh, sorry, to a business, you'd need planning permission from for that. Planning permission is one thing that you need. The second thing is building regs or building regulations. Essentially, when you're going through the process of changing your home, someone comes in periodically to make sure that you're building it to the required UK standard. And building regs is required even where planning permission isn't required. So let's say you're doing an extension that's within the, the allowed um, dimensions to not need planning permission. You still need building regs. They basically come and make sure you, you've dug your trenches to the depth required. You're using the right type of brick. Your insulation is of the right type. Basically, they just make sure you're building according to the book. And you cannot skimp out on doing building regulations. If you end up accidentally building someone something and um, you didn't get building permission, you can get retrospective uh, building regs, sorry, building regs. And 
if you didn't build it to the required standard, they could request that you make changes or even demolish what you've already built because they were never going to agree to it anyway. So definitely get building rigs and check if you need planning permission by contacting the council. If you do a Google for the local council in the area that you want to make the change, so whatever the local council is for the house you're buying, look under their, their building permissions section, you'll find out whatever the process is. Zoning regulation. We do not have zoning regu regulation in the UK. The things I've told you about permitted development, building regs and planning permission is what you need to know. Now, finally, you have a question here on how to improve your credit score. I have another episode entirely on credit scores and how to improve them. Um, and I will put that in the show notes. So look in the show notes to link through to my episodes on how to improve your credit score. At a high level, there are things you can do that don't involve you being a voter. So that's great. Um, however, I found that the different uh, credit scoring agencies use different metrics. And the one I have tended to trust is Experian because they seem to be responsive to changes in your rating. And I also follow Credit Karma and ClearScore, and I feel like they underscore you um, relative to how good your credit is. And my belief is underscored by the fact that they seem to underscore me, but they're marketing credit cards to me. I don't own a single credit card, which suggests to me if I get a credit card, my score will go up, but I don't want a credit card. I don't need a credit card. And um, I have no intention of getting a credit card just to improve my credit score with Credit Karma or Clear School. And at any rate, me not having a, pre a perfect credit rating with those agencies has never impacted my ability to borrow. Your question was all about property, and that's how I've chosen to answer it. But from a big picture perspective, what I wish someone would have told me when I first started investing in property is to not neglect putting money into a pension and I would put in as much as as possible um, without you know compromising my property goals so if you want some high level guidelines if you can afford a hundred pounds put in a hundred pounds you will get um, so there's there's a pension offset so the government basically boosts your contributions into any pension scheme to the tune of 25 percent so if you put in £100, the government puts in uh, 125 This basically reflects tax that you would have paid. So contr contributions into a pension scheme are before tax. And that's a benefit you don't want to entirely miss out on. If you put 2880 a year into your pension, that is equivalent to putting in 3600 So straight away, without any gain in whatever you're investing in, you've you've got a gain just from that uh, non-payment of tax. Uh, and I've also got episodes on to give you ideas on what to invest in. Basically, if you don't want to spend a lot of time super over-analyzing what you're invested in, you want some kind of pacified, diversified index fund to invest in. I hope you found that useful. Um, and I hope I've given you food for thought. If you've got any more questions, please send me an email. Um, it was a very interesting question. And I think 
there are a few things you probably need to go and Google now that I've given you my high-level answer. Thanks, Ahmed. And thanks, Shahid. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. I have three things that you can do. Firstly, please give me a five-star review in Apple Podcast. It really helps for people to find this podcast. And if I have not earned your five-star rating, please send me a message and let me know how I can earn your five-star review. Secondly, if you've enjoyed this, share it with a friend that you think is going to benefit. And finally, for some of my writing on personal finance, go to katsonga.com forward slash my books.